The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast is a production of Journeys Revealed Ministries. Glorify the Lord by your life. To learn more about this Catholic nonprofit apostolate, visit the website journeysrevealed.com. And now on with this month's show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast. I'm your host, Julia Monin. With me this month, special guest, Father Jedediah Tridel. Welcome back, Father. Thanks. Great to be back. Thanks for the invitation. You're, you continue to be welcome for that, sir. Thank you for continuing to say yes. We are continuing with our, um, you're, if you're watching this on video, our Choosing All series on St. Therese, the life and the soul of St. Therese particularly spending the bulk of our time during these four weeks of Advent in her book, Story of a Soul. If you tuned into our first episode, we chatted about um, Manuscript A, chapters one through four, the first two periods of what Therese considered her life, with a particular attention to the second period of her life, what she considered her most, um, what were the words she used? Her most painful, right? The saddest period of her life. Mm -hmm. And so on the translation. today we're picking up then with what she considered her the third period of her life. Spoiler alert before we get there. The suffering is not yet over for little Therese. So we'll approach that and how, how the Lord grew her soul through the sufferings that were to come. That's right. Yeah. So last time we talked about the, uh, the consolations she had growing up. Uh, great family life. Super faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, very idyllic. Mm-hmm. Uh, way of growing up in Alençon, mm-hmm. and then the death of her mother, uh, them moving to Les Buissonnets with uh, her uncle and his family, uh, her oldest sister, Pauline, entering the Lazou Carmel, so losing uh, the one who was tantamount to her, her second mother, mm-hmm. and she continues to refer to her as her mother throughout, and eventually she would be her mother superior, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, these difficult to then Teresa's own interior sufferings, her sensitivity, her scrupulosity, her uh, physical sufferings, her mm-hmm. sickness. Uh, so really just, you know, going through the crucible. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we left her at yeah. the end of, uh, of at the end of chapter four. Right. And then and her developing call to Carmel. You right. Know, she's clearly attracted to uh, Carmel. She wants to pursue the Lord in this intense relationship that, uh, as she sees, the life of a Carmelite is conducive towards. And so she has this interior longing as well that goes right along with all those other sufferings. Mm. So, you know, this this poor girl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all this poor girl who makes the most out of every opportunity the Lord sends her way. She's I, choosing all, Julia. She is That's choosing what she's doing. all, she Father. She is choosing all. Okay, so before we get into these next four chapters then, and we kind of unfold the life of this soul a little bit more, let's go ahead and um, put ourselves in the presence of God officially and open with Scripture. This is from Sirach chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My son, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. Be sincere of heart and steadfast, undisturbed in time of adversity. Cling to him, forsake him not, thus will your future be great. Accept whatever befalls you, in crushing misfortune be patient. For in fire gold is tested, and worthy men in the crucible of humiliation. Trust God, and he will help you. Make straight your ways, and hope in him. This opening of this, my son, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. It needs to be something at least in my own experience, life of a Christian, you read the lives of the saints. Like this is a reality each and every one of us will experience. And we spent quite a bit of time in the first episode kind of tying in Therese's journey and her story of her soul and making the connection with, you know, Therese being a daughter of St. John of the Cross. And, and it is from John where we get all of these teachings on the, the life and growth of the soul and, and how the soul actually develops and grows in this union with, with God and the dark night and, and why this is necessary. Um, but the reality of this is is this prepare yourself for trials and there's this i don't how, how do we put this um false idea of christianity of you know we just become christian and this life is just a life of roses and lollipops and rainbows from here on out right like like we're just going to thrive from the time we're baptism to the time the lord calls us home and we enter the grave and if you're not thriving then something's wrong with you and the reality is is that's not <laughs> an authentic Christian life. That's not what Jesus tells us in scripture. And this, this is 
so simple but so profound. Like when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials, right? Right. It's a life, a life of, life of right. grace, a mm-hmm. life of many blessings, but not necessarily uh, temporal blessings mm-hmm. in, in, in the way that maybe we would like to think about that. Temporal blessings meaning, you know, a good name, lots of uh, possessions, the goods of this world, sure. you know, our, our treasures to be laid up in heaven. Mm-hmm. And we see that uh, really in the lives of all the saints in, the, in their own way. Mm-hmm. And especially in, in St. Therese, laying up tremendous treasure in heaven. Mm-hmm. But and, you know, now in heaven, distributing mm-hmm. the treasures of heaven to mm-hmm. assist us. Right. But certainly uh, not b- missing out on many of the uh, the pleasantries of life that mm-hmm. some of us might associate with blessing. Sure. Right. All right. So as you mentioned, we kind of left her where she was sort of coming out of this painful period of her, her second period of her life. And she was feeling this attraction for the first time to Carmel, um, to to this life and it, as a nun, it, this life of prayer for for souls, for priests. Um, and she's feeling herself drawn to that. And that's where this chapter five sort of picks up. Well, first it picks up in a very... Well, I, I think it's important that we talk about what happened at this this great this Christmas miracle grace that That's she received. Right. So maybe you can enlighten us with that a little bit, and and how the Lord took that as an opportunity of of growth for her. As you mentioned, Therese was incredibly sensitive girl, um, hypersensitive perhaps, um, and and she was. And so, kind of talk about how this story unfolded and how the Lord's grace began to really convert her life or her heart here. I should say. Sure. Well, this was one of the, the famous moments of Therese's life, maybe one of the more famous parts of Story of a Soul, her Christmas grace. Mm-hmm. And at least what I draw from it is we see how God uh, passively, so it's not, it's not our work, it's his grace, God passively can bring us through these nights and these sufferings and these deprivations of consolation and kind of give us the grace to move through that. Mm-hmm. And that's something we see in... Uh, Teresa of Jesus in the interior castle, kind of moving from that, uh, not to say that this is exactly what's going on in, sure. in Teresa's soul, just using the, the language, uh, kind of moving from that uh, third mansion of the faithful Christian life to the fourth mansion of now God is drawing us into something deeper. Mm-hmm. John of the Cross in the Dark Knight talks about God pulling us into this this passive night of the senses when our senses are deprived of all the consolations that were once there, but then God bringing us through that and really deepening our faith after that, where we begin to seek God because of who he is versus the things he gives to us. Right. And this is a passive grace. This isn't something that we can just white knuckle or, or will ourselves to have this mature faith. This is, this is a grace. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so we see this, this great passive grace in Therese's life on Christmas of 1886. And essentially there was a... Uh, a tradition where the children would uh, leave out their shoes and and then the parents would fill them with some kind of present or gift, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. So Therese overheard her, her father uh, saying that, you know, like basically, when is she going to grow out of this? Mm-hmm. You know, why are we still doing this, mm-hmm. uh, this children's custom mm-hmm. uh, with, with Therese? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so... Celine, her sister, mm-hmm. is very worried. She's like, "Oh no, mm-hmm. Therese is sensitive." Mm-hmm. She overheard Papa saying mm-hmm. that, "You know, why are we still doing this?" Mm-hmm. And Therese is gonna, she's gonna lose it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and instead, almost instantaneously, uh, Therese says, "But she's uh, writing about herself." She says, "Therese was no longer the same. Jesus had changed her hearts, forcing back my tears. I descended the stairs rapidly." I took my slippers, placed them in front of Papa, withdrew all the objects joyfully, and uh, having regained his own cheerfulness, Papa was laughing. Celine believed it was all a dream. So basically, Therese just kind of stiff upper lip, mm-hmm. uh, went down, you know, got her gifts mm-hmm. like like normal, mm-hmm. and uh, and didn't kind of fall into this sensitivity that mm-hmm. just you know I don't know a few hours before he might have. Mm-hmm. And so, what exactly did God do with her? What exactly was that grace? Uh, we don't know, but it was just, mm-hmm. you know, a, a special moment in her life where mm-hmm. God brought her through this excessive sensitivity and uh, maybe, I mean, vestiges of that certainly mm-hmm. were still there, mm-hmm. uh, but we see this growth, you know, and this is, it seems like a small thing like, oh, she just 
got presents from a shoe. Mm-hmm. But again, we're not looking at the details of her life so much as what's God doing in her soul. What are mm-hmm. the graces? And this is one of those tremendous moments of grace in mm-hmm. her life where God brings her through uh, one of her many trials mm-hmm. and continues her along the path. Yeah, right. She goes on to say that on that night of light began the third period of her life, the most beautiful and the most filled with graces from heaven. She writes, the work I had been unable to do in 10 years was done by Jesus in one instant. And so you think about that, you know, sometimes it seems like we're beating the head up, our head up against the wall when it comes to uprooting the vice in our in our life and uprooting the sin and growing in virtue and we think we're not getting anywhere and we you know we go to confession and month after month we're confessing the same things over and over and over again and we can become disheartened by that and even despondent by what seems like our impossibility to move beyond these things these these sins these imperfections in our souls and yet tread this example again so simple but so beautiful in that um god she reminds us that God can do this work in an instant. Like he prepares us, he's leading us towards these times and we continue to show up and our lives aren't about, like I already said, our lives are not about, oh, you better thrive every second of every moment of your day, right? Don't ever feel the pain of of the fight here in your human body. That's not the life of a Christian. That's all a lie. Like we, we feel the pain of the fight. We struggle. Struggle itself is not sin. It means we're human, right? But it's our, our life here is about being faithful to him. So even in these times where we're struggling, where we're struggling with the same stuff we've been struggling with our whole life you know what are we doing are we remaining faithful to him are we remaining faithful that in his time and in his way god can and will uproot this from our life you know are we remaining faithful during those times and like like we said therese probably didn't um, wake up that morning and think this is the this is the day i'm going to receive this grace and this my periods of hypersensitivity are going to be over by this christmas yet she was open to that reality that this this could happen and it did right came down and a new Therese, as she says, was, um, she was not the same after that. And it's also, there's a, uh, there's something added as well. It's not just taking away her sensitivity, but she says, I felt charity enter Mm. into my soul. So disinterested, self-giving love and the need to forget myself and to please others. Since then I've been happy. So God uh, gives her this great grace of charity and, uh, and forgetfulness of self. Mm -hmm. And, uh, kind of reminds me of something, uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, uh, lives around the same time as Therese. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Elizabeth says, the secret of happiness is to not think of oneself. Mm. Loose translation, paraphrase. Sure. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so there's this great grace to think less of oneself and so really to grow in humility mm-hmm. and charity. And this would uh, begin to inflame Therese with this desire to intercede for others mm-hmm. as well, to start thinking about others more so than herself. So this grace isn't just for Therese's own good, but also for the good of the church. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Right after that, she begins to pray for uh, kind of the famous uh, scene where she she's praying for a convicted murderer, Franzini, sure. mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's sentenced to death. She's praying for his conversion. He refuses confession, and then uh, before his execution, he he takes a crucifix and kisses it. And Therese kind of takes this as her sign that even in that last moment he converted. So she she finds this real great zeal uh, to pray for sinners, especially those who are hardened, mm-hmm. uh, those who, you know, don't avail themselves of the Lord's mercy. Mm-hmm. She begins to uh, really develop this very, uh, it's, it's the charism of every Christian, mm-hmm. but a particularly, you know, contemplative religious charism to, to intercede for the world and kind of be the, the, uh, the engine igniting mm-hmm. charity for mm-hmm. the rest of us. Yeah. You know? And so, as you said, this is sparking this, this growth in her, in the life of her soul, where she is becoming less and less focused on herself and more and more focused on what God is doing in her and what God wants to do in her for others. And so these are things, um, you know, to really like, uh, I don't know if they're, what, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, there's signs, I guess, that we can look at in the life of our own soul, in the life of perhaps souls of our loved ones around us. Like, how do we know our prayer is actually bearing fruit in our life? How do we actually know that we're showing up day after day, we're, we're, we're uniting ourselves with the Lord in the sacraments? I don't feel any different. In fact, my prayer is dry. Like, how do I actually know that this is actually growing my soul? Well, there's certain things that we can pay attention to. And we see this played out in these four chapters 
of her book, these kind of um, guideposts, if you will, of here's here are signs that our, a soul is growing. One you already mentioned, growth and humility. You start to take the gaze more and more off of yourself and put it more and more on others, right? You're you're willing to make sacrifices. Um, you you you're beginning to put your hope in God and in God alone. And like we talked about, when the trials come, when the sufferings come, when the obstacles come, they don't make you flinch as much as they once did. Like we used to, you know, a, a less mature soul will flinch every time something doesn't go their way. Oh, woe is me. Oh, why is God letting this happen? Oh, you know, I'm just trying to serve him. And oh, this went wrong again. Blah, 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 blah. But the more you, the more God draws our souls to him, the more we become people who, um, are unflinched by these things, right? The more we grow in our humility, the more we become focused on God, the more these are just opportunities for greater surrender, right? Surrendering ourselves completely, trusting that we're doing the best we can do with what we know how to do and knowing that God's going to make up for everything else. What else? Um, We see this a lot in this section. This is what I kept being drawn to is Therese her attraction for suffering began to grow during this time. So she's growing in humility. She's growing in charity and wanting to pray for other souls and wanting to do good for others around her for the life of the church. And she, and as she's doing that, she's she's starting to gain this attraction to, to suffer and this desire to want to be hidden. Again, what is mm. this? Humility, right? I, I want to serve. I want to give myself. And I want all eyes to be on Jesus and no eyes to be on me. So you can see these things um, and her thirst, her thirst for souls, her thirst for um, souls to love, to love him. So you see this growing signs that the soul is growing. And she mentions too in here, time and time again, she was going through trials in her prayer. Prayer was arid for her. She wasn't receiving a lot of consolations in prayer. She talks about when she received the veil that um, as beautiful as a day as that was, it was filled with bitterness, right? And yet she, you can see these these things that are happening underneath of this that is saying, but her soul is growing and, and maturing um, in really beautiful, miraculous ways, right? That's right. Yeah, and uh, two things. I think we could spend the whole time on chapter five. Sure. <laughs> now oh, that yeah. we're really getting into it. Yeah. Uh, two things that kind of help to nourish us as, you know, God continues to work and help us to grow. Uh, she mentions two of them. Uh, one is spiritual reading mm. and two is cultivating virtuous friendships. Mm. Uh, in uh, chapter five, she says, I was nourished for a long time on the pure flower contained in the imitation of Christ by uh, Thomas Akempis, mm-hmm. a very famous spiritual work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this being the only book which did me any good for as yet I had not discovered the treasures hidden in the Gospels. So this is this is not any kind of Gnosticism or Illuminism. She's feeding her mind. We talked about mental prayer yep. last time and how spiritual reading helps to inform our prayer, give us the language of prayer, that time of just sitting back and thinking about God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's the language we use to speak to His Majesty? What's the language we use to, to speak to God, to describe God? You know, our spiritual reading goes mm-hmm. a long way mm-hmm. in, in building that. And so Therese is... Uh, being nourished in, you know, one of the best, the, the imitation of Christ being one of the tried and, to, tried and true, stood the test of time, mm-hmm. spiritual classics in the book, mm-hmm. in, the, in the church. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, just after that, she talks about her, her bond forming with Celine, mm-hmm. her sister, and she says, Jesus, wanting to have us advance together, formed bonds in our hearts stronger than blood. He made us become spiritual sisters, and in us were realized the words of St. John of the Cross, Following your footprints, maidens run lightly along the way. And uh, so just this mm-hmm. this sense of that we this is not just a matter of us having to go at this alone, but, you know, really the the best kind of friendships in this life, um, you know, outside of, well, I mean, marriage should be the perfection of this friendship, mm-hmm. really. You know, mm-hmm. if we want to get to what's what's a, a holy marriage, mm-hmm. uh, but the, the kind of friendship where two people are striving to grow in virtue as individuals and then help each other to grow in virtue as well. And so Therese found this friend in Celine mm-hmm. where this, this friendship became even closer than the fact that they were sisters. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a friendship that went stronger than blood, right? Mm-hmm. Cause we can have close family, uh, classmates, whatever it is, who are great, wonderful people, but not necessarily the person who, you know, we would confide our, the state of our soul sure. to, right? Right. 
right? Uh, there's a, there's this um, period of Teresa's life where she struggled with uh, scruples, you know, with being, again, think about her nature, her hypersensitive nature. So perhaps not surprising that that was a, a cross that she had to deal with. But she really was confiding in Celine at that time, right? Like really going to her and trusting, um, you know, because if you're struggling with that, um, that, that scruples, you're not thinking rationally, you're not viewing things rationally. And so you really need somebody who sees things from a mm-hmm. rational perspective. And that person was Celine for her. So, so right. So this, um, intellectually feeding herself with this spiritual reading, surrounding herself with, um, people, um, striving for this sanctity as well. And again, this, this call in her heart is leading to Carmel, to this vocation and Carmel. And she's feeling this grow, this desire to enter more and more. And of course, she's 14 at this time, 13 at this time. She enters at 15. Is that correct? Um, So this is uh, not a standard thing. You don't enter Carmel at the age of 14. But she's feeling so strongly called that this is what God is asking me to do. And to put it bluntly, she's not going to take no for an answer. No, Um, she's she is she is determined that this is what God's will for her is. And so totally being obedient to Holy Mother Church and not doing anything outside of holy obedience, she takes every step and does every necessary thing to make sure she does what she can on her own. So the Lord puts this vocation on our heart. And then to strengthen this vocation, to make sure this, this vocation is actually firm, lots of obstacles find their way to her. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that if you're ready to get there. Like all the obstacles from this is on her heart now. She's feeling drawn to go to Carmel to spend her life as a cloistered nun. Yes, she's only 14 having these these thoughts, these ideas, this this call in her heart, but she 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 senses strongly this is coming from God. This is God's will. So first things first, she goes to her father, right, to ask his permission. And for the most part, that conversation goes really well, right? She mentions that he he was responding like a saint, like this was a suffering for him, for him to obviously he had, at this point had already given up two of his daughters. Was Leonie in a in um an order at that time as well? I think she she, she was, was kind with of the in poor Claire's for only I think a couple of months. Okay. Yeah. So she was kind of in and out of convents right. and orders. Um. But anyway, for the most part, he gave her, pers- her per- his permission and supported it. The next step then would be for her to get permission from um, her uncle, who she was living with at that time. This did not go so well at first. Um, she, he, he was very opposed to it at the beginning. And in fact, just flat out tells her, we're not talking about this again until you're 18. This obviously was crushing to her. But again, she had this um, this attitude of, you know, like we read in our opening scripture, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials, be sincere of heart and steadfast, undeter- undisturbed in time of adversity. In a very real way, by the way, this was disturbing her. This was always dropping her to her knees and filling her with, with lots of tears. Um, but she kept moving forward in spite of all of this. She began praying for a miracle for her uncle's heart to be changed and that he would he would see that this was coming from God. And she did indeed get that miracle. Um, and, and he did give her blessing. But the obstacles were not over at they that point. They just kept piling up from here on out. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, can you pick up kind of where we're at? So she she gets her permission from her uncle, but now all of a sudden the superiors, the superiors in the Carmel, the superiors, her bishop, like she's starting to run into obstacles with actually getting permission from the church authorities to enter. That's right. So this would have been the uh, the priest who was in charge, uh, who kind of took care of the of the local Carmel. Mm-hmm. And he says, she says that he received us coldly. Mm-hmm. My incomparable little father joined his insistence to mine, but in vain, nothing would change the superior's attitude. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, there's, there's no danger staying at home. Just lead a Carmelite life there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's only the Bishop's delegates. And if the latter wished me to enter Carmel, he himself would have nothing to say. So, and she says, I left the rectory in tears. So uh didn't go real well. Right. Was, uh, I mean, she's probably throwing her, putting herself out there on a, on a limb here mm-hmm. to ask the uh, superior. It was uh, Father De La Troette. Yes. Sounds great. Yes. And uh, <laughs> uh, did not receive a warm response, did mm-hmm. not receive a, po- receive a positive response. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, well, just, uh, no, come back when you're, uh, I think he says 21, right? Ooh. And... Uh, yeah, sorry, I don't know. I don't have that right okay. in front of me. I'm on the different page than you. But the, the right. point of it is, is no. It, yeah, he received him coldly and said, uh-uh, right? But he also said in that, but, you know, 
there are people higher up than me. So if you get their permission, I can't tell you no type of a thing. And so her father, who was so supportive of this, you know, went above and beyond to continue to walk through these and to continue. And she, she writes about this beautifully, this, this every obstacle that had to be overcome in order for her to get to Carmel. She eventually, um, her and her father and her sister Celine go on a pilgrimage to Rome and they are traveling the sites of Rome. And we read about that in these chapters as well. And she eventually um, lands in front herself in front of the Pope right in an audience in front of the Pope and she talks about how horrifying this was because she was told very specifically no one is to speak right there's a line of people waiting to meet the Holy Father no one is to speak no one is to say a word and yet she knows that this call on her heart like her the permission needs to come from the Pope because she had been told no by the authorities basically underneath him and so well, the bishop she, was very supportive well, uh, to to his credit she mm-hmm. went from Father de la Truette to uh, the bishop mm-hmm. of, uh, I'm not sure which diocese that would have been, uh, but she went to went to the bishop and he again said no. You know he wanted the uh, the uh, superior's mm. permission as well, but he was he was very edified at uh, Louis's support, mm-hmm. edified at Therese, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he, he kept a fondness for Therese. Like she says that. Uh, uh, Papa amused him very much by telling him that in order to appear older, I had put up my hair. Right. And he would, like, the bishop would uh, go on to, to tell people that story mm-hmm. uh, after Therese entered and probably after after she died. And sure. Like, it was like uh, his little girl in some sense, right? That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. how he looked at it. She says, the more I approached the goal, the more I saw my affairs all mixed up. My yes. soul was plunged into bitterness, but into peace, too, for mm-hmm. I was seeking God's will. So yeah, so the the pilgrimage to Rome. Mm-hmm. She she writes what I suffered before the audience. So this is the audience with the Pope. Only God knows. So again, she's suffering every step of this way is a is a crucible of suffering for her. All she wants to do is give her heart to the Lord, give her life to the Lord in Carmel. And she's meeting obstacle after obstacle. Finally, she gets in front of the Pope, and she summons up the courage to speak. Um, and she says. Holy Father, in honor of your jubilee, permit me to enter Carmel at the age of 15. Now there's some confusion happening around. You can imagine the scene very clearly. She writes about it so beautifully. And the father, can you say his name again? The father who... The... Well, De La Trouette is the superior. Oh, okay. And so, I think uh, the bishop's uh, companion is Father Riverini. Yeah, they're that. Yeah. So, yeah, so... um. He kind of is helping the Pope understand like the situation and why is this, what is this young girl actually talking about? So he kind of fills in the blanks and he says, the Pope responds, well, my child, do what the superiors tell you. This, of course, is not the answer she wanted to hear. So she spoke up again. Oh, Holy Father, if you say yes, everybody will agree. (laughs) He gazed at me steadily, she writes, speaking these words and stressing each syllable. Go, go, you will enter if God wills it. So again, in some ways, this um, perhaps gave her hope because he didn't say, no, absolutely not. But it wasn't the, yes, absolutely, you have my permission, right? And so there was still a lot of struggle going on and and the obstacles were not done even after that point. So she was encouraged, if I'm remembering it right, she was encouraged to write a letter to the bishop again to remind him of what she had gone through. Um, The bishop eventually gives his permission for her to enter and then... An obstacle comes from within. So her own sister, Pauline, who was in the Carmel at that time, instead of allowing her to enter before Christmas, like she would really was hoping she'd be able to, um, didn't think she'd be quite ready for the Lenten penances that they undertake in Carmel. And so from inside at Tu Brute, like her own sister puts the puts the pause button on it, and she had to wait three more months before she could enter. Um, she eventually did enter then after that Lent at, like I said, I believe the age of 15. The purpose of me sharing all that and of us talking about that again are not necessarily so you know the details of her life, but so that you can understand what was going on in the depths of her soul, right? She go, she went through this period, the second period of life, this painful period of her life. The Lord gives her this grace to um, to grow her in, in virtue, to grow her in humility, to to uproot this this hypersensitivity, and yet the obst- he was not done with these obstacles. In fact, they seemed to intensify. The more she sought him, the more she sought to do his will, the more they seemed to find her. And yet everyone 
was not a reason for her to lose her hope altogether. It wasn't a reason for her to turn in on herself and to say, woe is me. It was a reason for her to continue to grow in virtue, to grow in humility, and to surrender her will to God's will, right? Um, That's right. We see a lot of good wisdom about discerning a vocation in the church yeah. as well, especially uh, some kind of uh, consecrated vocation, whether that's the priesthood or sure. religious life, where for the for the person involved, this is the most important thing to them. Mm-hmm. They've probably been thinking about it for months, years, however long it is. Uh, it affects how they live their life. They've seen God working in their life. Uh, there's this curiosity. And their heart swells when they think about a particular religious order or the priesthood or celebrating the sacraments, things like this. And so even though it's the most important thing in your life, uh, really that means you can't really look at it in a, in a purely objective way, can mm-hmm. you? Because it's uh, in a good way, in a holy way, it's kind of blinding you to other things in some ways. Sure. And so that's why we, we rely on the, the wisdom of others, of friends we can confide in, you know, good, like virtuous friendships. Uh, but also the wisdom of of superiors, mm-hmm. right? So Therese can't just go to the Carmel and say, "I would like to enter." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, okay. Well, if you if you really want to, mm-hmm. come on in. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a you got an extra habit lying around somewhere." Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's not like that. It's uh, mm-hmm. if you want to enter here, you have to go to the superior and ask. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really not completely up to us. The superior says no, but you know you can appeal that, mm-hmm. and she goes to the bishop, who's really her, uh, more than anyone, her spiritual father. Mm-hmm. Her pastor would be her primary spiritual father, but the bishop, the spiritual father of his diocese, and he has a divine duty and responsibility to care for the souls entrusted to him, and has that charism of, uh, of discernment and and governance, mm-hmm. spiritual authority there. That's that's unique to to the bishop, mm-hmm. and. Again, he's he's very edified, like we said, but again, it's it's no. Mm-hmm. So she does about the only other thing you can do, which I guess when all things are done, you appeal to the Pope <laughs> in <laughs> right, person. Right? Surprise, Holy right, Father. Right. <laughs> uh, but but we see that we see that importance that these things aren't discerned uh, just interiorly; these are discerned with the Church because uh, one's vocation is for one's own holiness. Of course, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. the path that God puts in front of someone to lead them to holiness to lead them to heaven mm-hmm. ultimately but it's also at the service of the church and it's a gift to the church mm-hmm. uh, Therese's contemplative vocation doesn't like the any contemplative vocation doesn't exist just to run away from the world mm-hmm. they exist you know in service to the church praying living ascetically doing penance for the rest of the church and being mm-hmm. a, a witness of being a witness to heaven you know, living the evangelical councils of being a witness to the the next life mm-hmm. for the church, and so they exist within the whole church and for the whole church, mm-hmm. and so these things are discerned with the church, mm-hmm. and uh, not just okay, I want to do this. Okay, mm-hmm. I guess I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And there were uh, usually whenever there are legitimate reform movements in the church, part of that reform is to sharpen up. Uh, how these things are discerned, what kind of formation are people going through, uh, what kind of checks and balances are in place, you know, who are, who are applying, you know, mm-hmm. who is applying mm-hmm. because, you know, Therese could just be a crazy person. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She could be, she could have been just someone who's mentally ill mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, thankfully that's not the case. Right. But, uh, but they would have no idea who this person is. Mm-hmm. Thankfully she had a sister who was, mm-hmm. who was already there, who knew mm-hmm. her, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, these things aren't just done by ourselves. They're, they're done with others. They're done with that order. They're mm-hmm. done with one's superior. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, if one's own will is different than the will of their superior and they don't listen to their superior, then, uh, you know, that humility is not there. Sure. And that's a good sign that maybe that vocation is not there mm-hmm. just yet. Sure. Yeah. Right. So true. Um, and, and, and to remember, too, that as you discern as well, like we've already talked about, when this when we enter into this, God uses these opportunities to just to bestow His grace upon us in greater and greater ways. These these obstacles come up not just to make us feel bad for the day and for give us a reason to cry, but to strength to ultimately to strengthen us and to strengthen our own vocation. Right. So I can go back, and this obviously wasn't a religious vocation, but when I think about 
um, you know, the own the own call I felt on my heart to publish my book for the first time and taking the steps to actually go about doing that and discerning, you know, as properly as I could with those in authority to me that this was actually God's will and I wasn't just making this up and deciding to do this on a whim. But actually, once I started going through that process, it was obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that continued to come up from start to finish. And by the time that book got in print, God had to work so many miracles for that to even happen. But what what did that do? Just made me feel bad for three years of my life? Well, it kind of did on one level. But I can look back at that and see the the growth and the grace that was with me at that time was um, strengthening me in this, the apostolate, strengthening me in um, my life of prayer. And again, was like stripping me of my own self-will and my own intentions and my own expectations of what this is supposed to be and more firmly rooting me in what his will is in all of this. And this is the essence. This is the life of our souls. This is the purpose of our souls, right? Is to grow in in um, union and likeness with him and with, with his will. So it's no longer God's will is this and Julia's will is this. And sometimes they connect and sometimes they don't, but it's, we're so united with God and so, um, conformed with him and his likeness that it's no longer julia's will julia's will is god's will god's will is julia's will and we read this in the song of songs so beautifully the beloved is mine and i am his the beloved is mine and i am his like the hearts don't beat separately and anymore they beat in unison with one another and so these trials these obstacles um they're meant to strengthen us and strengthen our vocation and and firm our resolve to serve him and him alone and not just hey i'll do it today because you know what it's fun today but tomorrow when it gets hard i'm out of here type of a thing um and so to always keep that in mind too as you're discerning anything for the lord whether it's something as as big as your religious vocation your your vocation in life or something as little as uh, as mine of i'm supposed to publish this book like all of this is a discernment with god expect the obstacles to come up and and allow them to be graces for greater conversion um Therese talks a lot in this section about her aridity, her trials, her sufferings, these obstacles, the many tears she shed during this time. And yet she also, underlying all of this, was this peace, this peace amidst her that all of this was happening. None of it was going how she wanted it to go. And yet there was this peace that she was always able to find in the depths of her being. In the study edition of this story of a soul, Father Mark Foley, who, who writes kind of like some commentary at the end of every uh, chapter and gives you some, some thoughts to kind of ponder, he writes, the basis of Therese's peace was that she accepted suffering as part of God's will. Again, not this separation. She didn't have this false idea that so many of us stumble into that the life of a Christian is a life of ease. She didn't have that. She understood that suffering is and can be a part of God's will. And so underneath all of that was this peace of, yep, you know, I may not like this, but I accept that this is what God wants for me and that his will will come out in the end. Um, and two, so beautifully through all of this, you can hear this, This we get it from her, this doctrine of the little way, which we'll talk about more in future mm-hmm. podcasts, but you can see this childlike approach to all of these sufferings, to all of these um, to all of these miseries that her soul was going under. One of my favorites is... Um, is how she dealt with this three-month wait. So I already we already kind of talked about that. From inside the Carmel itself, she's being told no. And by the way, I don't know if she knew that. Did she know that that's why? Well, she was awaiting a reply from the bishop. Okay. And uh, the bishop's reply came, and uh, I think they, they held on to the reply. Gotcha. Okay. Until uh, around New Year's. Gotcha. Okay. So this wait that she heard she could go, but it couldn't be until after Lent, this three months of waiting, what she did in that time was so beautiful because she could have handled it one way. You know what? I'll be there in three months. Let's live it up. I got these three months before I go in there and live this rigorous life of prayer and sacrifice and, you know, self-sacrifice. So, you know what? While I'm here, I'm just going to go do everything I can in this world to live it up before I go. She didn't do that. She mentions that she's kind of maybe perhaps had that temptation or at least that thought, but she, she she doesn't do that. She uses this as a time of greater preparation, but not in like extreme mortification. She talks about that. That was beyond me. That wasn't something I was able ever able to do. It wasn't something that ever attracted me. Holier souls perhaps were able to do that, but not her. And she instead offered these, through these practice of these nothings, she called them nothings, but she would take these little opportunities throughout her day to offer herself up to the Lord in greater ways. She talks about how 
when she was sitting at a chair, she wouldn't rest her back up against the chair. Um, what else did she say? Um, when she wanted to impose herself on others, instead of like saying her will, she would simply bite her tongue. And you know that these are perhaps little things, but you know that if you have a uh, strong temperament and you're used to not doing these things, these are actually really huge things. But she considers these quote unquote, her nothings that she was doing, these acts of penances and, and mortifications for herself. And this is, I think we're starting to see this doctrine of the little way kind of filter itself in. You can see how she's approaching the the life of authentic discipleship with the Lord, the life of deep prayer, contemplation, sacrifice, suffering. And yet she's approaching it through the eyes of a little one, one of God's most little ones. And that's where we get the beauty that is Teresa's soul. Yeah, that's right. And uh, she makes a, a great point that's worth talking about for a minute or two. That uh, she said in those three months, I made a resolution to give myself up more than ever to a serious and mortified life. And, you know, we're all called to that. Penance mm-hmm. is part of the Christian life. In the early church, uh, there, were, there was a thing called the order of penitence. And so instead of just going one-on-one to confession and then being absolved right there, mm-hmm. uh, one would confess and then... Uh, it wouldn't be until the following Holy Thursday that the bishop would absolve those who have finished their penances. And those penances could be really something, like going on a pilgrimage and things like that. And until then, you were in the order of penitence. And uh, you didn't go to communion. You didn't go to the, uh, we call the liturgy of the Eucharist now. Uh, I think they, and they would wait outside the wait outside the church and you know ask for the prayers of the faithful as they left. It was, it was a whole big thing. Mm. And... You know, as as the sacrament of penance developed, uh, the the Irish monks, in particularly, in particular, gave us the uh, the go there one on one absolution right there, mm-hmm. right then, mm-hmm. with a particular penance that we do afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, but there's a sense that every Christian, kind of in a removed way, like kind of lives in the order of penitence. That if we've ever if we've ever gone to confession, that we should remember that uh, just like. The early Christians made penance a part of their life. That it wasn't just a one and done. Okay, say my three Hail Marys and great, never have to do any more penance mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Is that the, the, the penance is a, a part of the Christian life, mm-hmm. and uh, penance being a a translation, uh, really meaning uh, like a complete reordering of one's heart. So that's mm-hmm. where they went. Penance and mortification. Mortification meaning dying to self. Morse means death mm-hmm. in Latin. Uh, meaning to die to self. So really what we're trying to do is die to the things I want to do right now and live in Christ more more freely. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the uh, the ascetic life is for. It's not just to punish ourselves because we hate the body. We don't. Mm-hmm. We're a body and a soul. The body's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But we do have, in, in our own ways, strong wills that need to be mortified, that need to die mm-hmm. in some way. And, uh, and that's totally dependent on our own capacity, our own needs. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, having spiritual friendships, even spiritual directors Mm -hmm. is very helpful to Mm -hmm. kind of help us in this. And so Therese's capacity wasn't for things like, you know, taking the discipline, like uh, self-flagellation, things like that, Mm -hmm. uh, which was practiced to to an extent. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe that seems distasteful to a modern audience but mm-hmm. that's uh that was and in places is mm-hmm. practiced mm-hmm. Uh, but her capacity was for things like not imposing her will on others holding back a reply so not being the first one to answer rendering little services without any recognition so just not being thanked for mm-hmm. what she does not leaning my back against a support when seated etc etc so mm-hmm. just foregoing a small comfort mm-hmm. and in all the in all these things basically what she's doing is uh, not being inclined to what she wants to do right then mm-hmm. to go back to John of the Cross, sure. the end of book one of the Ascent of Mount Carmel, of being inclined to the worst, not the best, mm-hmm. to that which is most insipid, not which is most pleasant, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what she's doing. This was then this is what was good for her. So that might not seem like a big penance to us. Like, what do you mean, just holding back a reply? Mm-hmm. But like you said, you're a strong-willed person, you want to be the first one to jump in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like you want to. Uh, Reply immediately. Don't do it. You mm-hmm. want to be thanked for what you did. You want to be recognized. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing, but you know mm-hmm. what's even better is don't do it. <laughs> sure. And to think about Therese, and she talks about that, like as a as a young person when she was trying to like um, um, live her life 
in charitable ways, she would notice that she was really wanting that. She was really wanting praise. She was really wanting gratitude. She'd do things for her sister. And again, going back to where she was really hypersensitive, if she didn't get the response from that she she wanted or she felt she deserved, then that was horrifying to her and really like shook her at her core. And so to think about this may not seem like a big deal, but this is what's, um, again, allowing her to die to that to that self, that that disordered attachment of I need the praise of others. I need others to notice me. I need others to thank me. I need others to to um, notice this good deed that I did, and to just recognize and and um, to not ask for it and not not want that. And the soul the soul grows. You know, you go from like to talk about suffering a little bit. It's not like one minute we. Uh, avoid suffering at all costs and we have an aversion to it and then the next minute we wake up you know like I love it suffering's great I see the beauty of it and every day I'm going to mortify and do penances because I want to you know give that to the Lord and unite it with his on the cross the Lord God grows us little by little right he grows us little by little and she writes about this beautifully in here as well but she he grows us little by little in our acts of charity in our way we are able to deny ourselves the way we make sacrifices the way we receive praise and we want honor little by little he begins removing that so much so right these souls that have reached this perfection in this life their humility is so profound and so deep that they literally don't want to be looked at or noticed or praised or any sort of recognition it's horrifying perhaps in some ways to receive that but it's not like they got there overnight right the lord grows us little by little step by step he's a very gentle merciful god okay so so she enters she enters <laughs> and, and she says peace my soul experienced a peace so sweet so deep it would be impossible to express it for seven years and a half to mm. when she's writing uh that inner peace has remained my lot and has not abandoned me in the midst of greatest trials mm-hmm. she says god gave me the grace to not have a single illusion when entering carmel I found the religious life to be exactly as i had imagined it no sacrifice astonished me and she says, I came, uh, I declared at the feet of Jesus, victim, in the examination preceding my professions of professing, uh, she answered the novitiate, what I had come to Carmel for. I came to save souls and especially to pray for priests. Mm. When one wishes to attain a goal, one must use the means. Jesus made me understand that it was through suffering that he wanted to give me souls, and my attraction for suffering grew in proportion to its increase. And so she was at peace. Uh, she suffered. That's what Jesus gave to her mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of souls. Mm-hmm. That was her lot. Mm-hmm. It's not everyone's lot. Lot. Mm-hmm. You know, never. Not everyone's called to to live as a victim soul in that way. Mm-hmm. That's kind of. That's a very intense way of living the faith. And that's a particular grace that was given to Therese. But she uh, she wanted all, mm-hmm. and that was the that was the particular sacrifice that the Lord placed in front of her, and she willingly accepted that. For the mm-hmm. sake of souls, for the mm-hmm. good of souls, mm-hmm. for the church. Right. So I have a question for the for the listeners. I think I gave you one last on the last episode as well. Just something for you to kind of ponder. And if you are doing this in like a group format or you're listening to these in a group format, something to kind of discuss as we wrap this together and we tie all this in a nice little bow. Again, this is in the study edition of Story of a Soul. So this is a question by Father Mark Foley. He says, during the various times when Therese's plans were frustrated, which we spent a lot of time talking about that, her call to Carmel, or actually to enter Carmel, time after time again, it was not going her, her way. During the various times when Therese's plans were frustrated, she did not put her life on hold, but rather embraced these interruptions as opportunities to grow in virtue. In your daily life, where are you faced with similar opportunities? And I would add to that, and how can you respond to those? So again, thinking about Therese's life, what we talked about in, in this, this chap, these last four chapters, during the various times when her plans were frustrated, she did not put her life on hold, but rather embraced these interruptions as opportunities to grow in virtue. In your daily life, where are you faced with similar opportunities? And then how can you respond to those? How can you take this time especially during Advent, right? But really all of your life, these interruptions that come up where your plans aren't going the way you want them to go, how can these become opportunities to grow in virtue, opportunities of the Lord's grace to grow you, to mature you, to continue on this path to greater and greater conversion, this path that leads to him and this peace that only he can give. And again, this peace that comes from Christ, this peace that Therese 
had when she entered and always had is not a peace that is there because everything is going my way so much greater than that it's a peace and Therese talks so beautifully about how Jesus was asleep on her boat right and this was this image that all these trials are coming he I know he's here but he's snoozing right and so often we can be tempted to like wake him up and like fix this for me I know you're God I know you can do this I know this is within your power so please fix this and she had this peace of you know what letting him rest right just letting him sleep on her boat and so this peace is beyond everything's going my way and now I'm I'm happy and everything is good. The piece is he's asleep at my boat or you know what? The storm is raging and he's sleeping below deck and yet I have this piece. And so how can these little interruptions that come our way and maybe they're not so little, maybe they're big ones. How can these become opportunities of grace and growth? That's right. And I didn't stop because we, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we mentioned uh, well, Pauline, her se- really her second mother. She enters Carmel. That was traumatizing in that yep. sad period of her mm-hmm. life. Marie, her second oldest sister, uh, who was her confidant and one of her principal catechists before her uh, before receiving her sacraments of initiation. She confided her scruples to Marie. Marie helped her make her good confessions, told her what she could and couldn't confess. Mm. Uh, then Marie enters Carmel as mm. well. So, I mean, what a, what a shock. Mm. And then she develops this close spiritual friendship with Celine over time. Uh, and then, of course, she leaves Celine to go to Carmel which is, there's a consolation there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of just fast forwarding her father, Louis, yeah, right. would get very, very sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the point where they found him, you know, wandering around Lazoo and eventually her, his brother had to disarm him because he was, he was worried that, uh, you know, that the family was under attack and mm-hmm. things like that. And so she saw this good, pious, holy man who really seemed to only ever do good, mm-hmm. uh, kind of fall into this this mental and psychological decline mm-hmm. and uh and maybe maybe dealing with the guilt of oh my gosh did i abandon my father mm-hmm. and you know, that's how the enemy works kind of mm-hmm. use those use those little ends to uh make us doubt when we're doing god's will and we're sure. striving to grow in holiness and then uh celine also received a call to carmel she decided to stay and take care of louis their father for a time Eventually, Louis would pass, and uh, and Therese would kind of get another nice consolation in there when Celine entered Carmel as well. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, uh, towards the end of chapter eight, uh, that I had now I have no other desire except to love Jesus unto folly. My childish desires have all flown away. I still love to adorn the infant Jesus altar with flowers, but ever since He has given me the flower I desired, my dear Celine, I desire no other. She's the one I offer as my most delightful bouquet. So kind of just a sort of a, what would seem to be a happy ending mm-hmm. in uh, manuscript A, because I don't think she had an intention to, I wasn't sure if she would continue to write mm-hmm. after that, but manuscript mm-hmm. A would, would conclude the uh, um, the part of Story of a Soul that she wrote at the request of Mother Agnes, mm-hmm. her older sister, Pauline. And mm-hmm. so it ends on kind of a happy note, uh, Chapter eight does a lot of uh, it's a lot of her reflections on life in Carmel and just the her offering to merciful love, the kind of kind of famous wedding invitation uh, she made before her her vows and things like that. And uh, but yeah, so we so we see some some nice consolations there mm-hmm. uh, towards the end mm-hmm. of manuscript day. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you ended on that note because that's where I was going to end as well with like where this where this came of. Again, that's exactly what I was going to say. I have no other desire except to love Jesus unto folly, she writes. Um, Neither do I desire any longer suffering or death, and still I love them both. It is love that attracts me. So again, she's like surrendered even this, um, you know, this... I don't necessarily want to suffer, nor I will or I won't type of thing. It's kind of like this holy indifference, so to speak, I guess. Like um, she's not indifferent to to life or in an apathetic way, but, you know, it's God's will. And she's come to accept that and be resolved. And then she continues to go, now abandonment alone guides me. So at this point, she no longer desires anything except to love Jesus and to folly. She doesn't desire any longer suffering or death. And still, I love them both. It is love alone that attracts me. Now, abandonment alone guides me. Wow. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And then, uh, at the end, uh, she says, How will this story of a little white flower come to an end? Perhaps a little flower will be plucked in her youthful freshness, mm. die early, 
or else transplanted to other shores because there were there were also missions. There was a mission Carmel in Vietnam at the time, and Therese suspected that perhaps she might uh, go to uh, Hanoi, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, be transferred to a mm-hmm. new foundation mm-hmm. uh, in in Vietnam and mm-hmm. be you know part of the part of the mission effort. I think there was another book I was reading. It might be Story of a Life, which mm-hmm. is more the biography of Saint Therese mm-hmm. that uh, that talked about. The uh, when when the the new bishop came to uh, Hanoi, the, the, one of the first things he wanted he was like I want contemplative Carmelite sisters here or not Carmelite nuns here to be the the spiritual anchor for the rest of the mission work. Mm-hmm. If I, I I think that's the right story. Mm. Wrote a lot of books the last couple of years. <laughs> They're all kind of blended together. Uh-huh. But uh, and so she thought perhaps she might be a missionary. Mm-hmm. Perhaps she might pass early, mm-hmm. and so that's why chapter eight kind of ends on a on a question mark, well, mm-hmm. and uh, and then she would continue at the request of her sister Marie mm-hmm. to write for uh, to continue the yeah to continue yeah. The, to continue the story, which is where we'll pick up next time. Yeah, and it's so, a very different tone. It's mm-hmm. not manuscript B is not uh, so much the the story of her, of her life. It's mm-hmm. just more her reflection on really on love, mm-hmm. uh, abandonment, trust, mm-hmm. and probably why she's a doctor of the church, mm-hmm. I would think. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, how sweet is the way of love, Therese writes. How I want to apply myself to doing the will of God always with the greatest self-surrender. Okay. Any other final thoughts on this one or kind of wrapping up sort of kind of what we talked about with this? Hopefully it just puts things in maybe a little better perspective uh that it's therese isn't just a complainer of like mm-hmm. oh my, why am i re- reading this book about a uh, a whiny french girl from the turn of the 19th century mm-hmm. pardon 20th century uh that this is that really if we approach this from what's god doing in her life and what graces are there which is why she wrote it uh what's how is god working in her soul at this particular time it gives us a lot more depth mm-hmm. uh, to look at this book. Because in terms of uh, just life events, it's a fairly inconsequential story. It's kind of, it's a, it's a story of a upper middle class French family that falls into tragedy, mm-hmm. which, okay, that's nice. But mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's not a classic of spiritual theology. Mm-hmm. That's a, I don't know, a, mm-hmm. a short novel, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh yeah, so when we look at it from, okay, what is, uh, what's this suffering she's experiencing right now doing? Mm-hmm. You know, okay, she's very sensitive. What's that say? Let's take that a little bit deeper. She's not just complaining about things. You know, this is this is a, a real cross for her that God would uh, give her the grace to be delivered from mm-hmm. eventually. Uh, she's She can't enter karma yet. Oh, she's just complaining about it. No, what, what what's she doing with that time? Mm-hmm. What's... Uh, where are the desires moving? How is she using that time? How is this helping her grow? And clearly we see her grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just all these little events, you know, what are these doing in the in the life of her soul? Mm-hmm. And in the same way, we can look at events in our own life. And it was more than just something that happened. Mm-hmm. It's more than just a narrative, but like this affected me somehow. And uh, did this draw me closer to the Lord? Did it push me farther away from the Lord? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I even think in, in those terms? Mm-hmm. Well, hey, that's a good point right there. Just to even change your perspective in this reality of life isn't just some random series of events that's just happening to you and you just have to do your best to survive as these random things are happening to you. Your life, all of these things are happening for a reason, for a purpose, and ultimately God is is over and over again, very incredibly gently and slowly drawing you to him and wanting to draw you to him. So it's not just this random series of events. They're all opportunities for his grace to be at work in your life, in the life of your soul, in the life of the souls of your loved ones, um, and in the life of the world and the church. So right there is a big thing. Like, let's just start thinking about that. I mean, if that's all this podcast did was got people to actually start asking themselves those questions and thinking a little bit interiorly about, huh, well... I don't know. Why was that so difficult? Why did this just blow up in my face? Huh? Is there something there? Therese talks about that. Like, um, she was not permitted to make her vows mm-hmm. right yeah, away. She, she had to stay in the novitiate an extra period of time. Extra eight months. And mm-hmm. at first that was incredibly 
obviously horrifying to her and upsetting to her. But then she recognized that there was a lot of self-love in her wanting to make them so quickly. And again, to just look at that as an opportunity of, you know what, Lord, when I give myself to you fully in this way, I want to be more prepared for that. And so instead of complaining, how could these people not let me enter and blah, 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 blah. You know what, Lord, I'm not where I know you want me to be. I'm not where I want to be. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity for grace. This is the beauty of a humble soul, a soul growing in this is where the superior wants me. Therefore, this is God's will right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there's some way that I'm supposed to be growing. Mm -hmm. And can I be humble enough to cooperate with that? Yeah. And we'll talk more about love next time. Next time. Yes. So, okay. So I think right now, at least the plan is to um, spend time, most of our time in all of manuscript B. So we'll see if that's where we continue this or not. But all right. So let me read this quote from Therese one more time. And then I want to read this uh, scripture that we began with that from the book of Sirach. And then if you're okay, I'll let you close us in prayer. Okay. So at the end of chapter eight, Therese writes, Oh, how sweet is the way of love. How I want to apply myself to doing the will of God always with the greatest self-surrender. My son, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. Be sincere of heart and steadfast, undisturbed in time of adversity. Cling to him, forsake him not. Thus will your future be great. Accept whatever befalls you. In crushing misfortune, be patient. For in fire, gold is tested. And worthy men in the crucible of humiliation. Trust God and he will help you. Make straight your ways and hope in him. And to conclude, Lord, we ask you to uh, give us the humility to accept uh, whatever sufferings befall us in this life, no matter how large they are or no matter how small they are, and help us to see those as an expression of your love for us and help us to see them as your invitation to make us holy and to make us saints, ultimately. And Lord, we ask you to inflame within our hearts during this Advent season and at all times uh, a longing for you and a longing for our true home in heaven. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.